All right. Well, uh, man, I missed you guys. Uh, it is good to be back. Uh, Hannah and I and our kids were in Minnesota for a couple weeks, and now we're here. So um, we are. We're glad to be back. And uh, I'm glad to get back into the Word with you. So if you would open your Bibles to Psalm 27, we'll continue our summer in the Psalms. Uh, we are going to look at, it's on page 583, if you're using one of the Bibles that we have underneath the chair in front of you. Page 583, Psalm 27. Hear now God's holy and true word from Psalm 27, starting in verse 1. David writes, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord and will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path. Because of my enemies, give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we do thank you so much for your word and its power and the way that it helps us to understand your great love for us, uh, Christ's great sacrifice for us, your Holy Spirit's work within us. Father, we want to grow today. We want you to uh, use this time to transform us, to make us more like our King Jesus, to give us bold faith and so we, we humbly bow before you, Lord, and ask that you would now help us to uh, not only understand, but stand under your word and to, uh, to see the beauty of Christ on every line. We are thankful and we ask that you would use this time to change us and renew us for the sake of the nations. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 27 uh, is is a really amazing psalm. I, as I was studying it this week, I was blown away at how practical it is, and, and we'll see that. 
how practical it is when it comes to how we would want to go about addressing our fears. Everybody has fears. We all are afraid of something sometimes. Maybe some of us are afraid of some things all the time. But uh, we will always, as human beings, because we live in a fallen and broken world, there's going to be times where we are afraid. Uh, just so you know, famous people get afraid too. It's true. Actually, I was reading about some famous people's fears. Uh, Jennifer Aniston, Cher, and Whoopi Goldberg all are aviophobes. They have aviophobia. You know what that is? Fear of flying. Okay, so you probably won't run into them on an airplane. If you do, they're probably freaking out. Uh, Barbara Streisand has xenophobia, so she doesn't like being around strangers. Uh, Woody Allen is uh, an interesting person. Woody Allen, I don't know if he's serious or not, but he says that he's afraid of insects like bugs. Um, Insects, sunshine, dogs, deer, bright colors, children, heights, small rooms, and crowds. Uh, So that's Woody Allen. George Washington. Uh, George Washington himself had taphophobia. You know what that is? That's a fear of being buried alive. Right? I'm right there with you, G-dubs. Okay? That's like my greatest fear. Uh, Richard Nixon. uh, I don't know how to say this. No, socomphobia. Whatever it is, it means that he was afraid of hospitals. That's awkward if you think about it. Um, Napoleon Bonaparte. Napoleon, the great military leader, uh, French uh, military leader. He had ilurophobia. Uh, that is a fear of cats. I mean, think about that. All the conquering Napoleon did, if the enemies, if his enemies had just known, all they have to do is throw cats. You know, then the problem solved. Um, we all wrestle with fear. And, and you know, uh, here's the thing, like, you can laugh about some of that stuff, and, and, but the reality is there's a lot of times in our lives where uh, we have some serious fear, like maybe even fear of our safety, fear for our life. Uh, who knows? Fear for the life of someone we love. And so there's a lot of times where we are desperately afraid. And here's one of the most sweetest things, I think, about what the Scriptures say to us. The most frequently repeated command in all the Bible is not be good, it's not don't sin. The most frequent command that we see in the Scriptures is do not fear. Our God does not want us to live in fear. He wants us to take our fears to Him and allow His glory and His grace to relieve our fears. It's like when we sing Amazing Grace, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, but grace, what? My fears relieved. And so uh, ultimately this relief of our fears happens through faith in christ and so our focus this morning and, and again this is we're going to get really practical here i really love uh, what psalm 27 shows us for addressing fear uh, that through faith in christ we can move from fear to worship from worship to prayer and from prayer to courage okay that's our focus for this morning let me say that again through faith in christ we can move from fear to worship from worship to prayer, and then from prayer to courage for facing our fears. So uh, we're going to do this in looking at three things this morning. If you're making an outline, we'll talk about looking back uh, and that ultimately leading to worship and then looking up to God in prayer and finally looking ahead. So looking back, looking up, and looking ahead. Uh, let's start with talking about looking back. Look at verses 1 through 6. Keep your Bibles open. We're just going to walk right through uh, this passage. I want you to see all these uh, beautiful things in here. So looking back, first thing we want to realize here, looking at verses 1 through 6, is that when we are afraid, we need to remember the ways in which God has helped us, uh, protected us in the past, or helped and protected His people uh, that we see in the Scriptures. 
and then begin to even anticipate how God might help us now. Okay, this is what we see David doing, and it is amazing. Okay, looking back at at things that God has done and then even anticipating what God will do in the future. Uh, And this is, by the way, not natural for you and I. Our natural inclination when we're scared is to look anywhere but God. Naturally, our sin nature is always going to run from God, look to ourselves, try to look within for courage or look to something else out there in the world. But God wants us to learn um, over and over again to run to him when we are afraid. So that's what we're going to see. David first is looking back. Look at verse one makes this amazing statement. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So he starts out with this incredible perspective that simply puts saying, if if God, the creator and sustainer of all things, if he's our Lord and he's the one who's our light, meaning our wisdom, shows us what's true. If he's the one who's our salvation, meaning he gets us away from evil or he's our stronghold, meaning he keeps evil away from us. If that's who our God is, then why would we be afraid of anyone? Now, but he doesn't stop there. Uh, He actually starts showing us where his confidence is coming from. And this is where he begins to look back. So look at verse two. He says, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Now, here's something that's cool about what uh, is written in verse two. Uh, he uses some Hebrew verb forms that actually have a past tense nuance to them. So it sounds like it's reading in present tense, but technically it's In the past tense. So he's speaking about something that has actually happened in the past. Okay. And that's something that's very important for us to understand. So when he's, when he's saying this line, it's, you could, you could translate it in the past tense. You could say that David is saying, when evildoers assailed me or came after me to hurt me, they were the ones who stumbled, past tense, and fell, past tense. So, so he's looking back on some sort of event in his life where God provided help for him, where God protected him. And that's what we want to do. We also want to look back to times in our lives where God has been there for us whenever we're afraid. Now, here's why this matters so much. Here's why this is so important. David looking back in the past to seeing uh, at at times where God has been there for him in the past, uh, that teaches us to do that same thing. And it liberates us from feeling like we have to be this courageous person. Like if we're going to face our fears, we've got to well up from inside of us some sort of courage. It's actually the opposite. God doesn't want us to try to find courage from within. He wants us to get it from looking at who he is and what he's done. This is what one uh, commentator writes about this. Uh, the, uh, the word suppliant is just a fancy word for the person praying. Uh, but here's what he says, referring to uh, this verse. He says, the, thus the suppliant is not a person who trusts God because of some personal capacity for trust or because of being a person of faith or because of a capacity to laugh at dangers or because of making an active existential commitment to trust. That might be of no use to people who were not made that way rather he says the suppliant is one who trusts in god because of something god did 
You see how amazing that is? That means it's not about us uh, trying to find a bunch of courage within our own self. No, rather, our confidence can and should come from who God is. David's confidence here is not based on the type of person he is, but on the type of God God is. So when we are afraid, when we're fearing something, God wants us to look back in the past. Look what he's done for his people and his word. What has he done for you in your life? What other ways and times has he protected you? And what's amazing is, as we think about those things, you feel pretty confident. David does. Look at this, verse 3. And he starts, he's ready to take on armies. He says, though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, I will be confident. Again, he's not confident because he thinks he's all that great. He's confident because he knows that God is great and God has been there in the past for him. It continues in verse 4, the same line of thinking. Look at verse 4. He says, one thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Why? To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So when he says the house of the Lord, he's either referring to the physical temple, but a lot of scholars think he's really talking about his access to the presence of God, that he knows God is present with him. And then notice at the end of verse four, he wants to look at something and he wants to ask about something. Right. He wants to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. What's he want to look at? What does it mean to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord? And this is really interesting. That phrase appears another time in the Psalms and it's in Psalm 90. So if we want to understand what he means by looking upon the beauty of the Lord, we can also look at what we see in Psalm 90, verse 17, which reads this. Let the beauty of the Lord, same exact Hebrew phrase. Let the favor or beauty of the Lord rest upon, I'm sorry, let the favor or beauty of the Lord, our God, be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. So in, in Psalm 90, when the psalmist uses that phrase, the beauty of the Lord, uh, he's asking for the favor of God to be upon them. In other words, he's asking God to do something. In Psalm 90, that phrase, the favor of the Lord, is referring to what they're asking God to do, to establish the work of their hands, to do something through them. So if we take that understanding back to uh, right here in Psalm 27, then what David wants to look at, what he wants to gaze upon and stare at, is the ways in which God has provided for his people, protected his people, delivered his people. It's the same thing. It keeps the focus not on the individual, but on who God is and what he's done. So God, David wants to be, have access to God's presence to continually gaze upon these amazing things that God does for his people. And then he wants to inquire as well, it says, in the temple. And we can assume perhaps he's wanting to inquire about since God has done these great things for us in the past, what's he going to do now? It's almost like he's beginning to anticipate. And that's what we see in verse 5. You see three different ways perhaps God will help. David writes in verse 5, For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon the rock. And it's almost like he's saying, maybe he's going to do this. Maybe he's going to do that. Maybe he'll do this. That last one, uh, lift me high upon a rock. It's the imagery of being set up kind of on a cliff where there are ravenous animals below trying to get to you, but they can't get to you because you're up high, right? And so uh, you see this this reality of David is now uh, looking forward and anticipating. He, he believes somehow, in some way, God's going to deliver me. God's going to protect me. He's beginning to anticipate. And the beautiful thing is, out of that anticipation of what God might do in this situation, he ends up worshiping. Look at verse 6. 
He says, and now my head shall be lifted up above all my enemies. Again, he's confident God will do something. And then he says, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Isn't that amazing? That means we can move from fear to worship by, by looking back and seeing the things that God has done, uh, so much so that we begin to anticipate the way that God might come through for us this time, in this situation, whichever uh, it is, whatever it is that we're scared about. God wants us to have courage, but he wants that courage to come from who God is, what he's already done, the ways that he's already demonstrated that he will protect us. You know, I don't know... Um, I've obviously never had LASIK eye surgery. Um, uh, some of you might have had that. I've thought about it a few times. Um, usually the, eye, the idea of somebody playing Star Wars in my eyeballs uh, gets a little um, nerve-wracking to me, so I haven't done LASIK surgery yet. But I've looked into it a few times. And in fact, uh, there is a doctor, uh, an eye doctor in Minneapolis, where Hannah and I just were for a while, uh, and he's done a pretty high number of LASIK eye surgeries. It's pretty impressive. In fact, I've done the math several times. I don't know how he's done this many. But see, if I was going to sit down and I was afraid to get LASIK eye surgery, I would probably want to ask the doctor who's going to do it a, a pretty important question. And that would be, this isn't your first time, right? Right? Yeah, you know, you'd, you'd want to know that. You'd want to know that this is not his, uh, his maiden voyage on uh, you know, Star Wars in the Eyes. Um, and so if I were to ask that to Dr. David Whiting, who's up in Minneapolis, he would tell me, no, this is not my first time. I have done this over 100,000 times. You can try to play with the math on that. It's on the website. I don't think he's lying. I don't, it, only, it takes 10 minutes an eye. It's 50,000 people because we each have two eyes. Somehow, I don't know, 100,000 times. Right? So if I'm afraid... Of, of a situation, and then I find out that the person who's in control here has done this 100,000 times, automatically there's a lot of peace in my heart, right? Not because I'm good at trusting, but because this person is apparently very good at uh, LASIK eye surgery. And that's the same principle. God does not want us looking inside ourselves for courage. He wants us to look outside. He wants us to look to him to see that whatever situation we're in, he's done this a hundred thousand times. And so that our courage would come from who he is and what he's done. He wants us to look back on what he's done so much so that we begin to even anticipate what he might do right now. And that leads our hearts into worship. And of course, he wants us to look back uh, directly at the cross above all things, looking at the, the point, the moment in time when, when God relieved us of our greatest fear. I mean, if you're any human being, our greatest fear would be being judged forever by a holy God. And of course, the cross is the proof that Jesus has come to die, to pay for our sins so that we do not have to be afraid of God's judgment. Those of us who believe, those of us who have repented and followed Jesus in faith, we will never face God's judgment. So if he has relieved us of that fear, then of course he wants us to run to him with all our fears, looking back on what he's done. Romans 8.32, it says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So the cross helps us to see that God has met our greatest fear and it also helps us to remember to look back at the things God has done. And that helps us to begin to worship. And out of our worship, then we can flow right into prayer. Look at 7 through 12, verses 7 through 12. And we talk about looking up. Now David launches into a prayer, which is interesting because that first six verses are pretty 
confident, pretty uh, positive. But then there's some real concern here. So look at his prayer. And what we want to recognize is when we are afraid, we should spend time with God in honest and specific prayer. Verse 7, he says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer to me. So he's asking God for grace. Verse 8, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, I do seek or do I seek. And so he's acknowledging that God has called his people to come to him and to seek his face. He's saying, you've said, come to you. Here I am. Uh, verse uh, eight, then I'm sorry, nine. He says, hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. Oh, you have, oh, you who have been my help again. He's still thinking about the past. Cast me not off. Forsake me not. Oh, God of my salvation. Here we see him uh, completely acknowledging his dependence. He's not saying he's got anything to that he can do here. It's all he's completely depending on God. And when when we are in complete dependence on God, the number one thing we want to know is that God will not reject us. Look at verse 10. He he focuses on God's relentless acceptance of his people. Uh, Verse 10, it says, For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. In other words, he's saying even if he did something so bad, like in the in this time, this is very family centered uh, uh, society that David lived in. And so your parents were you know, you're very, very special to you. And you had to do something really, really bad if you're going to be disowned by your parents. And so what he's saying here is even if I did something so bad that my parents disowned me, you will still accept me. You will still take me in. That's what he believes uh, about God. And so then he next, look what he does. Uh, actually, yeah, next thing he does, verse 11, he says, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. And here he's simply just asking God to show him what to do. I mean, when we see the way and the path, a lot of times we want to attach a moral uh, nuance to that. And it's definitely, he's not asking about anything immoral. But the, the primary emphasis that David is, is asking here is just what to do. He's in a situation Something is happening. He's scared. Uh, He's going to get specific about it in the next verse. And he's simply asking God, what should I do here? Which is exactly what we can do. Uh, But verse 12, now he gets specific. He says, uh, give me not up to the will of my adversaries for false witnesses have arisen against me and they breathe out violence. So now he's, it's really interesting because in in, uh, Psalm 25, 26 and 27 now, uh, the psalmist gets more and more specific about his situation as the psalm goes on. And so that's what we see David doing here. He's saying to God, he's telling God exactly what's going on. He's saying there are people who are lying about me and because of their lies, I'm probably going to suffer for it unless you do something. Some of you can probably relate to that exact situation. Okay. So, uh, but interesting here how he's very honest. He's very uh, uh, specific. And this is what we want to see here, that, that, that we, God wants us to run to him and be honest with him and spend time in prayer with him. Uh, Charles Spurgeon says, true prayer, a true prayer is an inventory of needs, a catalog of necessities, an exposure of secret wounds, a revelation of hidden poverty. Uh, Jerry Bridges says, prayer is the most tangible expression of trust in God. And I love this, D.L. Moody. He said, uh, next to the wonder of seeing my Savior will be, I think, the wonder that I made so little use of the power of prayer. So he's with the Lord now, but when he was alive, what he believed was that when he got to heaven, two things would just blow his mind. One, seeing Jesus, and two, that he just didn't 
rely on the power of prayer as much as he could have. And that's what we want to, uh, one of the big things to take away is that God wants us to run to him in prayer, especially when we're scared. He wants to hear our fears. He wants us to trust him with those fears. You know, sometimes maybe we think it's embarrassing to be afraid and we don't want to acknowledge to God that we're afraid. Or maybe we feel like we're not supposed to be afraid. But at the same time, keep in mind, it, you know, Psalm 27 is saying, no, don't fall into that trap. Okay, think about what God's done and what he might do and then go to prayer. It's exactly what we see David doing. And it's exactly what we saw Jesus doing in the Garden of Gethsemane. There's nothing wrong with being afraid. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was afraid. He was thinking about facing the wrath of God so that you, don't, you and I don't have to face it. And he was so scared that he, he was either, either sweating so bad that it looked like blood dripping or he was sweating blood. Uh, Luke tells us that in Luke twenty two forty four, he says, and being in agony, Jesus prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. What's interesting is in the medical world, they have found instances of people sweating through their pores when they're just completely terrified. So we know that being afraid is not wrong because even Jesus uh, showed that he was afraid. But. What did Jesus do? He goes directly to God in prayer. What is David doing here? Directly to God in prayer. What does God want us to do when we're afraid? Think about who God is and what he's done and begin to pour out our hearts to him in prayer. And here's even a list, um, and I can put this online later if you don't want to write it all down now. But, I mean, if you just look at what David did, here's what he did. In his prayer, he, uh, he asks for grace, and then he acknowledges the fact that God has told him to come and seek his face. Uh, he then acknowledges his total dependence on God. He then acknowledges God's relentless acceptance of him. And then he asks God what to do. And then he gets real specific about what he's facing. So, so those are some th- simple things that if we want to know, well, what should I pray about? How should I pray? Well, just follow David's lead. Open up Psalm 27 and look at the things he was praying about and pray about those things according to your situation. It's amazing. Because what you see then, David is, is moving from fear to worship and then from worship to prayer. And then from prayer, out of his prayer, he shows courage and confidence. Look at uh, 13 and 14. Basically, what we're seeing here is after we worship and pray, we will have courage to face our fears relying on the goodness and power of God. Look at 13. He says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. In other words, what he's saying is, I believe God is going to do something about my situation and that, you know, in this life right now, God's going to do something. He has confidence that God will do something. Uh, Verse 14 there, he is able to then wait. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So his expectation based on looking back and seeing what God has done, so much so that he began to look forward and even anticipate what God might do. And that situation uh, causes his heart to worship. Out of worship, he pours out this honest prayer, and then he feels confident and courageous. It's amazing. So we, too, can go from fear to worship, from worship to prayer, and from prayer to courage. And I think one of the things we want to keep in mind also is that God loves when we run to him with our fears here's how i 
am certain of that. He is our father. He's adopted us. We are his children. And any father knows that when your child is scared and runs to you, you love it. These are uh, our four kids and uh, Hattie there on the right. Uh, Hattie is like deathly afraid of dogs. And so uh, whenever I'm with Hattie and uh, we're walking or whatever in a park or down the street or something like that, and I see a dog in the distance, I get excited because I know exactly what's going to happen. She is going to run to me with her hands like this. She kind of balls up her fists like she's already trying to get protected. And then she launches her hands up at me and she'll say, Daddy, 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 pick me up. There's a dog. There's a dog. And, you know, it's like my favorite thing. It's like I almost want to wait a second and just watching her, you know, like, get pick me up. But that would be rude, so I never do that. I just swoop down, right? And I pick her up, hold her up real high. She buries her face into my neck or into my chest. And she's just, you know, so afraid. But then you know what's interesting? The same thing happens every time. As soon as she is in my arms, face buried in my chest, she begins to peek, peek out towards the dog. And then, uh, feeling safe in my arms, she will begin to say, Daddy, can I I touch the doggy? Can Can I pet the doggy, Dad? And so then, every single time, I'll go over and I'll start to lean over and she'll go, no, 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 and I have to stand back up. And we'll do that about six times. And then, and then, you know, we'll go down one time and she'll reach out and she'll touch the dog a little bit. And then she'll say, Daddy, can I pet the dog? And she'll pet the dog. And then she'll say, Daddy, can I get down? And I'll put her down. And she'll start hugging the dog. And then she'll say, Daddy, can we have a dog? And I say, ask your mom. (laughs) But what's so sweet is that it's her inclination right now as a child That if she's scared, she runs to daddy. You know, we grow up and God doesn't want that to go away when it comes to our relationship with him. He wants us right now, anytime, at every age, when we get scared, that we would run to our daddy, our father in heaven, that we would look back on the amazing things that he's done, primarily sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, that we would begin to anticipate what he might do to get us out of this situation that we're in, that allows our hearts to even begin to worship him, and then we pour out our honest needs to him in prayer, and somehow we're able to peek out from his chest and even look at that thing that we're scared of, He's that amazing. He is that amazing. And this simple truth uh, that his love is so strong for us that he wants even to relieve our fears just demands our trust and our worship of him. We're about to sing uh, such a great hymn, Jesus, I, my cross have taken. And what's sweet about that hymn, it's the first line is Jesus, I, my cross have taken all to leave and follow thee destitute, despised, forsaken thou from hence my all shall be perish every fond ambition, all I've sought or hoped or known yet. How rich is my condition? God and heaven are still my own, meaning even if we did lose everything we've ever had, God and heaven still belong to us. And so God relieves our fears. Let's pray. Father, we uh, want to repent for the times that we have run to other things in our fear. And would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, make us a people that 
form a habit uh, of running directly to you in prayer and worship? And would you, like you have done for your servant David, would you relieve our fears? Would you help us to trust you and worship you even in anticipation of what it is you might do? And help us to face our fears with courage, not from within us, but from you and who you are and how amazing you are. Help us to glorify the name of Christ through our courage. We pray in his name and for the sake of the nations. Amen.